But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas' idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hey everybody, it's another edition of Give Us a Second, a mini-sode series from the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 13th episode, and this is part three of 2017 in film. Lot to live up to here. Yeah. We've had a good run with these mini-sodes. The first two were exceedingly popular um, maybe not as popular as our regular episodes, but still, probably on the more popular end, at least for the give us a second, right? At least in terms of feedback, and people uh, really weighing in. Yeah, people excited about our take on the current landscape of cinema. I mean, most of our episodes are kind of all over the place as far as you know the years that the movies and TV shows that we're doing came out. This is. Our uh, finger on the pulse. Absolutely. Relevant. <laughs> well. Somewhat. <laughs> yeah. People like Lady Macbeth. Yeah, I mean, in part two, we broke down a lot of the front runners for the best picture race. Now it's time to get into the real shit. The I will re- say, even just recently talking to people, someone was asking me about my favorite movies of 2017, and I was just like, well, I don't know, like Phantom Thread? And they're like, what? Is that well? We're gonna get into Phantom Thread in this episode. I think uh, that one kind of unfortunately, you know, didn't really make too much of a dent. What do you think the, the chances office. are, or how high percent of the people that listen to this show haven't seen any of our top five or six <laughs> movies? Eighty? Yeah, 80%. that's a fair number. Um, I don't know. Get out to the theater, people. Get a movie pass. Yeah, come on. It's a whole new world. Right. Everything I've seen, there's been lots of articles, you know, basically suggesting that movie pass is responsible for millions of dollars in business, specifically for these best picture type movies like Call Me by Your Name, uh, The Shape of Water, Lady Bird, etc. That movie pass is driving a lot of business towards these movies that may not be typically like the blockbuster type movies so that concludes the uh money pass uh, movie pass segment the of free the show. commercial that i do yeah. for movie pass every now and then all right well i guess we can get right into it i mean we can start with phantom thread if you want um kind of a late entry to the game which may you know i guess have backfired on the studio yeah uh, this didn't really get a big wide release until well in the january We've got uh, the old crew getting back together with Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis. Two people going by three names. Supposedly, Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis' last film. Yeah. If we're to believe the rumors. I don't know if I believe it. (laughs) Uh, No one's ever really done until they're dead. (laughs) This is kind of an odd story. Kind of... uh, 1950s yeah ish england um fashion world a fashion what is happening here designer dude who seems 
certainly gay, but somehow into women. <laughs> um, now, I will say it's like this is and Paul Thomas Anderson, one of my favorite directors, just great. This is something that's like you take the content of it and at face value, I would be like, I have zero interest in that. But it's just his ability to make every scene kind of tense and engaging. And I mean, just really dynamite performances by Daniel Day-Lewis. But the whole character dynamic of him and this girl that he's like dating slash they get married. uh, Just him kind of like berating her and just kind of being this presence that just constantly beats her down. I was like, yeah, I mean... I, I, you know, I'm finding this very relatable right now. <laughs> well, like a lot of other uh, PTA movies, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm using abbreviations. Um, it's about obsession. It's beautifully shot, and this, you know, this kind of goes along with something we discussed when talking about Christopher Nolan's direction of Dunkirk and just this idea of Paul Thomas Anderson and. Christopher Nolan directing movies in a way that most other directors working out there right now, just they're not reaching these levels of just these unbelievable shots. Every frame is a work of art. And I really think that I, 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 I know that Phantom Thread and Paul Thomas Anderson are, are not really going to win any awards come Oscar night, which, you know, is fine, but it's kind of just another year of overlooking uh, just a masterful work and then yeah the way that this usually plays out you know paul thomas anderson will eventually win for something that is lesser than a lot of the films that have come of his that have come before it and that's usually just how it goes to make up for years that you know he probably should have won yeah for me just a great movie though fun exhilarating funny sad (laughs) dark a uh, twist kind of that is right. just great and um, just i loved it i was all in on it these poison mushrooms playing a role <laughs> in multiple films this year from 2017 and i think kind of like a lot of other paul thomas anderson movies it's something that you will want to watch again and you will kind of you'll kind of fall in love with it all over again like there's just things to look at and and little nuances to some of the dialogue. The woman that plays his sister is hilarious at oh, times. Yeah. I mean, there's just great parts. And I'm I wish that it would have kind of made a bigger stir. His Paul Thomas Anderson's box office performances are kind of all over the map. I mean, Boogie Nights was a huge hit and then I think Magnolia wasn't and Punch Drunk Love was a very small movie anyway so i don't know if it really is considered like a flop or anything i don't really think it cost any money but and then you know there will be blood was a a huge kind of movie that oh yeah that made a lot of money and was like a big deal very impactful but then you know the master and inherent inherent vice kind of were a little bit more under the radar and didn't really move the needle very much and this is kind of another one despite the fact needle. that people get excited about seeing Daniel Day-Lewis I don't I, I think it's already kind of vanished from a lot of theaters around here yeah and it's, it's kind of unfortunate didn't really capture the imagination the same way that 
uh, Lady Bird and The Shape of Water, and our next film, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, did. Yeah. Those movies have kind of had these long theatrical runs and have been able to make money, whereas Phantom Thread kind of disappeared. Um, Three Billboards... You and I have discussed this a few times. Both think it's a good movie. I have this higher year-wise than than you did. Uh, But for me, a lot of... I mean, we're pretty much in agreement on this. A lot of talk about Sam Rockwell, but really Woody Harrelson performance in this movie that's just... Great. Really. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that Rockwell's been cleaning up all the award shows for Best Supporting Actor. I think Woody Harrelson is nominated, I believe. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, for the, the Oscar, but it looks like Rockwell's the favorite. His character has kind of become the controversial focal point of the film. He plays he's a, a racist yeah. character. Um, yeah. I mean, he's also a cartoonish character right. that, that seems to be almost existing in a completely different movie at times. That's the but thing. He's kind of a, a terrible racist who people feel that it's inappropriate that he's, re, you know, quote unquote, redeemed at the end of the film. Um, I'm not going to give away spoilers yeah. as to what exactly transpires, but I will say, and I think Martin McDonough, the writer-director, has also kind of said that, no, he is not redeemed by things that happen, but that his character is messy and the story is messy because real life is messy. And I, I do think that people are pathetic and they complain about everything. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, the food allergy controversy over the peter rabbit movie it's like we grow the fuck up people doomed i mean we're heading i i know that people want to get up in arms about everything and everything has to be a big deal but it's like we are heading towards uh a future where we can only make the safest most blandest boringest things that everyone has to agree on and we're gonna make films by a committee by a you know politically correct committee that will vote on what's acceptable. I mean, it's just embarrassing. I so mean, you have that to look forward to. And this movie has become a target because it's one best picture at tons of award shows uh, leading up to the Oscars and was getting that momentum heading into the time period where uh, the Academy voters will be actually voting. So people are trying to, you know, sway that vote now because, God forbid, there's a character that is kind of a terrible racist in yeah. a movie. I, I, I never watched this thinking uh, Sam Rockwell is supposed to be, like, a good dude in any way. I, 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 are I we kn- not supposed to think that racist people are bad? I, I think that that's what's being portrayed here. Well, I'm... I think the the idea is that people are uncomfortable with with how some of the things towards the end of the film are, are with him. I don't think it ends with him being a good guy either. No, he's he is a complicated Crazy character as are many people. Like that's the thing. I mean, you the world is so rarely black and white and yet we demand nowadays that that our films be black and white and that bad characters are a hundred percent bad and can never do anything but be bad and have to be obviously bad and have to be beat into our head how bad they are and people you can't uh, have any complicated issues well that's the thing and even like reactions to anything now it's like 
nuance plays no part in no. any reaction. It's nuts to me. I just don't get it. But uh, this Martin McDonough, I've liked a couple of his movies. Uh, I like In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths. It was okay. But this definitely was stepping it up a level in quality for him. But I'm in agreement with you. We've discussed it. It does seem to fall short of great. Uh, there's something I would it say just doesn't we really would be, have the flow. We would be remiss if we didn't mention, obviously, Francis McDormand, the star of oh, yeah. the film, who's unbelievable Always good. and is the favorite to win Best Actress and probably should. I can't really think of a, a performance uh, quite on the level of hers this year. Um, I guess we'll see how that plays out. But she carries the film. Um, there is a lot to love about this film. It's unbelievably interesting concept. Uh, it's sometimes funny. It's darkly humorous. I would say the my biggest complaint and the thing that holds it back has nothing to do with Sam Rockwell's character being repulsive and then almost portrayed as a heroic figure in the end. It's more to do with the bizarre tonal shifts of the film where right. you're not and, really sure how to feel about anything. And they just kind of like throw things at you i mean i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that the whole crux of the film is kind of francis mcdormand's character's reaction to her daughter being raped and murdered and set on fire and just this kind of a, horrific yeah description little of this over the top really and yet there are scenes of Sam Rockwell dancing like an idiot, which is funny because Sam Rockwell is a funny comedic actor, right. but it's like... At its core, what's going on here, we're talking about a dead child who was burned. Yeah, I mean, it. it you're kind of at... You're, it's sometimes enough wacky shit is happening in this movie where you're like, oh yeah, there's like a horrific story Plus underneath this, stuff, and there's never going to be a happy ending, the whole no matter what. The whole sequence where Sam Rockwell goes and beats that dude up and throws him out the window out into the street, I feel like you're. it's a, it's supposed to be funny at first, but then it's like... Yeah, but it, and it's also seemingly happening in a non-reality where there's right. barely any consequences to bizarre yeah, things yeah. that happen, including something from the trailer... So it's not a spoiler, which is like Francis McDormand like kicking a couple of children in the crotch, a girl and a guy. Yeah. And nothing not happens. Great. It's never right. mentioned <laughs> yeah. again. And it's just like if this was a comedy, you could buy that. In this movie where something deadly serious is at the center of it and is supposed to be so real because of that, how are we supposed to take a character doing something like that and it never even being mentioned? Yeah. It's just, it's too bizarre. It is. So, I mean, that's my biggest complaint about it. I overall really like the film, Yeah, there's definitely some good stuff in it, and it is funny, and it is... Yeah, and I'll be happy, you know, with it taking home a couple of Oscars, which it probably will. Another film that we can talk about, and you mentioned it briefly, uh, something that I think is higher up on my list, and it's just, it's got... Zach movie written all over it. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a British film uh, called Lady Macbeth. Just... Which we had to kind of slum it and watch on DVD. Yeah, I do have an imported Blu-ray now, but it only got a DVD release in America. you and I saw the trailer for this together in theaters, hoping we'd get to see it. It was released in one theater here 
for one week. Oh, and man. we didn't go. Unfortunately, yeah. it was a weird time. There was a lot of stuff for us to go see, and yet we didn't. It was that. It was not to bring year. it up again, but it was right before I was still waiting for the movie pass card. It took like a month <laughs> yeah, to show yeah. up, and so like I just didn't. We didn't see Good Time. We didn't see Lady Macbeth. There were a couple of things in the theater, right. like, like Logan Lucky, which I still haven't seen. Oh yeah. So we kind of missed our opportunity there. Uh, yeah, I mean, what's to say about Lady Macbeth? <laughs> Aside from it being great more poisoning in it Um, poison mushrooms playing a part uh manipulative chick at play here kind of yeah i did well i i I think that this movie has kind of been positioned as like a uh a feminist piece uh this woman taking control she conquers her situation she has she's in a a situation beyond her control where she's kind of forced into this marriage that is kind of a disaster for her and she kind of takes control of the situation and guess what she wants and then you know comes out clean at the end and um, is uh very scary and she has an ass that will not quit. Yeah. <laughs> no i mean there's one of maybe my favorite i guess you would call it love scenes of the year <laughs> <laughs> yeah where her husband is just basically jacking off to her ass i guess yeah i, I, I don't know. know it's a strange scene it was hard to yeah the relationship not great but yeah she but kinda, she you she, know she gets her own play she kind of gets a little side piece yeah she kind of carries on this very like illicit affair with who one, that guy with just one of the gets stable hands way in over his head right he doesn't know what he's in yeah for with i mean her. she's convinced speaking of you know dead children She's convincing him to do all sorts of things, and we'll just leave it there. I think her name's like Florence Pugh or Florence The Pugh actress? Yeah, she's a young actress, um, English. She's going to be playing um, Paige in the Rock, the Rock-produced film about the WWE wrestler Paige and her crazy British wrestling family. If that movie is still happening, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, be on know. the lookout for that. I know uh, Cersei from game of thrones is in it um yeah she's really great in this movie i think she has like a big future this movie's a little too strange and slow probably for most mainstream american it's audiences dry at times but i loved it i was all yeah. in on it I, I i i thought it was shot in a really cool way it's just kind of want to watch this again it's we should just watch like, that blu-ray yeah it's just a a really kind of standout kind of movie for me where it just doesn't look or feel like anything else you know out there um but i mean i know that almost no one has seen this movie at all let alone our listeners so we i mean we probably shouldn't dwell on it too long all right but, moving right along but if you if you see the dvd out there in your red box yeah. i know it it had a brief red box run as a dvd it probably is gone by now how sad of a dvd life do you have to have if you have a brief run at red box <laughs> uh yeah um but maybe it's one that will pop. Hopefully, it'll pop up on like Netflix or Hulu or something like that. It seems like it should be in that kind of class, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Um, speaking of which, Netflix. Uh, a Netflix. Oh yeah. We both were all in on a a Netflix original film this year, and that would be Bright, starring Will Smith, <laughs> <laughs> written by Max Landis. No. Right. Uh. I never watched Bright, actually. I have not either. I guess, it, like, 
millions and millions of people did, and they immediately greenlit a bright sequel, and it's becoming a whole thing. Although oh, it looked like straight garbage to me. Well, I believe it was directed by the guy that did Suicide Squad. No, that can't be good. Anyway, the movie that we're actually going to talk about is the Meyerowitz stories, new and selected, a film by uh, Noah, Noah Baumbach. Baumbach. Is he the husband of Greta Gerwig, or are they just dating? Uh, are they together? I, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I just thought they were like collaborators on movies. No, I and think shit. they're a couple. Okay. I, I don't know if they're married or not. I, I guess it doesn't matter. But she did. Well, she wrote Francis Ha, and he directed it, and then. She wrote and directed Lady Bird. Yeah, and this was his entry of the year. I, I'm kind of disappointed in kind of the underwhelming response. I mean, it got good reviews. I've heard tons of people praise the film, yet it kind of died down very quickly, and you don't see or hear a lot about it now. And it, I don't think it got any awards recognition but guess um, what? Everyone that listens to the show has Netflix, so go watch it because it's the f- it, for me. It's the it was the funniest movie. movie of the year. It was yeah. definitely the funniest movie of the year. I mean, Dustin Hoffman. Well, I was of gonna, relatable characters. I was going to bring up the. the I, I I think that maybe part of it is that you know uh, some of these allegations against Dustin Hoffman may have you know thrown a wet blanket. Oh, I didn't over even the, know about this. I didn't know. Is he part of the? Me Too movement? Kind of, yeah. For, for stuff that happened, Christ, before I was born. Well, but that's too bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's Some a scene in this movie, stories, I think towards the beginning, where Adam Sandler's trying to park a car and just flipping <laughs> out. I mean, poof. Who hasn't been there? <laughs> yeah, the the film stars uh, Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller. They're like half-brothers. Um, their father is Dustin Hoffman. Um, it's kind of this transitional time period where Dustin Hoffman is kind of, I would say, heading towards the end of his life, kind of thing. Yeah, and you know he's selling Refusing his house and to actually get there, though. Yeah, and um, Emma Thompson is his current wife, who's kind of a strange character, Bird. and Adam Sandler has a daughter who's just starting college who he's got his an aspiring filmmaker yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at that right. um and they have a sister too i'm not super familiar with who that actress but she's is. good in the movie yeah everybody is hilarious in it it's just kind of a lot of you know family dynamics um that kind of thing like you know dr- drudging up the past uh, making sense of the present kind of thing um Dustin Hoffman is kind of a mm, almost famous artist. Yeah. He's not really famous, but he kind of flirted with Narcissist fame. who probably shouldn't have had kids. Definitely. And his sons have kind of gone on different paths. It's kind of the it's kind of a, a take on the idea of if your father is an alcoholic and he has two sons and one son follows in his footsteps and becomes an alcoholic and one goes the other direction and never touches the alcohol. It's almost like that where the two sons have gone in such different directions where like Adam Sandler was kind of an artistic person, but never really did much and was kind of a house husband and never really had like a real job. And sounds great. Yeah. He kind of has floated through life. Whereas like, 
Ben Stiller was like this really motivated go-getter who was not interested in the artistic world at all and has kind of made his money uh, in like real estate or finances or something yeah. like that. And Just a real annoying dude, really. Yeah, and it and both of the the way that they live their lives despite the fact that they're so different seem like a reflection on their father. You know what I mean? Even oh, though yeah. it's so different. Yeah, and it's it, I I I don't really want to like get too far into the details cuz I want people to check it out for themselves, but just really funny. One of Sandler's best performances in a long time. Um just a shocking amount of laugh out loud moments for me. Uh, you put it on. I I missed probably like the first half hour the first time I watched it, but immediately watched it again like the next day from the start. Oh yeah, this is one that I've actually I've def I've watched it two times all the way through. Just um, I I do love whenever Sandler just kind of throws it down and shows like how great of an actor he can be when he wants to. You know, because most of the time he's doing like Grown Ups too, and it's just oh. him standing around. What was the being Zohan unfunny. one? <laughs> yeah, I mean his don't mess with the very Zohan. like broad, unfunny characters that worked twenty, twenty five years ago, but don't really seem to work anymore. But you know, every now and then, whether it's uh, Punch Drunk Love or what's that one where he's good? Eh, whatever. There's some. There's other ones. Even like a funny people, I would say. Yeah, funny people. He's really good in. Like, yeah, he, every now and then he'll just like remind everyone like hey i can do this so yeah everyone should check that out i think i don't think anybody could be disappointed with that. i find it hard to believe that anybody would find that movie not funny yeah I hopefully not i don't know what else do we have left uh another i guess awards type movie didn't get nominated for best picture but got some other nominations one of my favorite films of the year because i just love this story so much and this story, just for some reason, means so much to me oh, <laughs> on a personal level. I know where this level. is going. Yeah, I, Tanya. Right. The story of Tanya Harding's life, kind of, and kind of the events kind surrounding of, uh, the major incident in her American life. American white trash culture in general. <laughs> just the most... I, for people that either, you know, I guess weren't alive or weren't old enough to have memories of that time period it it maybe seems strange that the world was so fixated on this bizarre figure skating controversy but it's just one of the most american it's stories so that's that have ever happened really just brings up great memories from childhood uh still just an unbelievable thing to me that she was still able to skate in the olympics <laughs> One of the crazier things that's, that's ever happened, not just the event, but the fact that she was then able to s participate in well, the competition. I'm assuming that the Olympics were probably still with NBC even back then, and I'm guessing that... The they were like, how can we yeah, not? We, we gotta have both Nancy and Tanya yeah. in this. This is a ratings bonanza. This was the pinnacle of the Winter Olympics for me. The winter, as we record this part three, the Winter Olympics are in full swing. I could not care less. I have zero interest in the Olympics. I, who gives a shit? But this, I'm sure someone does. This, I don't know. It seems like every time I, every podcast I listen to is people talking about how they can't get into it anymore and they don't care. But it just seems like we need 
things like this to really oh, grab that would our be great. attention. Yeah, I would be back in. <laughs> um, How sad. And this came at a time, and you know, the memorable spoof of Mm-mm-mm by the Crash Test Dummies, uh, the song Headline News by Weird Al Yankovic made light of this, but this just came at a time when the news was kind of figuring out cable news and kind of the 24-hour news cycle and the pre-Kardashian the tabloids were really you know at the forefront of this I guess I don't know but just whether it was Joey Buttafuoco or John Wayne Bobbitt getting his wing cut off or I mean just these and this all seemed to be happening you know all the time and then like the Nancy Tanya thing um, it just was a crazy time for like American news and it just, I don't know. There's something I've always liked Tanya Harding. I, I always found Nancy Kerrigan unbearably annoying. It doesn't and hurt horrible. to have and Margot so, Robbie or Margot Robbie, however you pronounce it, playing the character either. No, it doesn't hurt. Um, but I definitely had a crush on Tanya Harding back in the day. Yeah. I mean, I was probably like, I can't. In and for your money, uh, Tanya Harding in her prime, it, you know, more beautiful than Margot Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just an unbelievable performance by Allison Janney as her mother, who is just this insane woman. The guy that plays, uh, not Galuli, although that guy's good too, but the other guy, the, um, what's his name? Like Sean. The bodyguard dude? Yeah, the yeah, fat guy, who right. is a guy that, from everything I'm, I've heard is like not even really an actor and didn't really have know. like an He's IMDb great page. He's unbelievable in this movie. I, he, I think I saw a picture of him at like a red carpet event wearing like a WWE shirt or something. I mean, he just <laughs> is fitting. like, yeah. yeah, he's uh, Sean Eckhart. I didn't even have to oh, get to right. the IMDb, yeah. I remember. But yeah, that guy, the guy who plays Sean Eckhart, his name is um, Paul Walter Hauser. I just wanted to say his name because he's unbelievable. Maybe should have even gotten a little bit more recognition than he has been getting. Um, but yeah, it's just a fun movie. It's it's a blatant Goodfellas ripoff, which so many movies are. But this is just fun. It's just a fun movie. Oh, yeah. And, it you know, it's... Again, similarly to Three Billboards, the tonal shifts in the film are a little weird. You see a man... That is weird. ...driving a woman's face into a mirror, and then she's turning to the camera and giving a joke line to get a laugh, and you're like... I feel weird laughing here. I get that there's conflicting stories, and that Tanya's story may be different from what Jeff Galuli's story is, and we don't really know what their relationship was like. He denies these kind of things. She says this happened. Who knows? This is, you know, 30 years ago. But no matter what, we're seeing it portrayed on the screen. I don't know if we should be going for laughs right in that moment. It is strange. Yeah. I like it, though. It's a movie that I'll be definitely buying on Blu-ray day one and enjoying for years to come. Oh, yeah. Um, And I think Allison Janney is the favorite to win Best Supporting Actress, which is Yeah, cool. she's... Definitely great. I've always liked movie. Janie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's not to like? What else do we got? Anything? So uh, we got we got two movies left. I think, right? Or am I missing just something? one? I'm thinking. I can. Oh no, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. 
Blade Runner 2049. What can uh, we say? Really, for me, they made a 250 an awesome movie that no one cares about. They made a 250 million dollar art house movie right. that most people Looks would be bored to death incredible. in because they're idiots uh my it's a brilliant movie my big thing with blade runner 2049 is it just it's so long but left me wanting so much more (laughs) you know i can say this almost with 100 percent certainty that it's the best looking film i've ever seen oh yeah it looks unbelievable i think it would be really cool that director if uh, uh did a good job too um what's his face that directed uh, arrival yeah yeah, um, Roger Deakins was the cinematographer who's one of the best cinematographers of all time, and he's nominated. I would love it if Blade Runner 2049 could get the Oscar for that. I don't know if it will. It didn't get... it, Despite the fact that it had an insane Rotten Tomatoes score and was pretty much loved by critics, it didn't really get much awards consideration because it was a box office disappointment on a grand scale. Oh, they spent yeah. so much money on this thing, which I can't believe really, thought right? It was kind of insane because the original Blade Runner, while a classic, is still kind of a cult classic. Yeah. I don't know if it has the kind of following that they were thinking it did by spending well, this much obviously money. Obviously not. I think they overshot here. Now they had Gosling. Yeah, and, and they brought Harrison Ford back. Right. So you think that's a but winning like, formula, but we're at a point now where there really aren't movie stars in the traditional sense That's that true. can just open a movie with just a name. Because even American Made, which came out this year, you know, the Tom Cruise vehicle, that wasn't right. like a $300 million success. I mean, I don't think it was like a failure, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, even the people that are traditional movie stars aren't, you know, yes. going on runs like Sandler had from the 90s into the 2000s of every movie he was in was guaranteed $100 million. Like, well, nobody's yeah. doing that anymore. Um, Blade Runner 2049 also featuring, I guess I could say, a friend of a friend of the show, Ana de Armas. <laughs> One removed from Eli Roth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be cool if Eli Roth, when he was listening to our Knock Knock episode, uh, sent it over to Ana de Armas. Listen and- to these... Dolts just drool, drool over you. <laughs> <laughs> she posted like some pictures on Instagram of her, I guess, with like her boyfriend or whoever, and I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> or him. Just like some hot Spanish hunk, <laughs> you know? And it's just like not even in the same right, universe. Like dirty dancing Havana nights. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. But yeah, she's she's great in it. Uh, I think Gosling's great in it. I really liked uh, uh, Robin Wright in it. Yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford's angle. It takes so long to get to it. Right. The payoff is cool. I think the Even story. Even Jared Leto is like the weird, creepy villain. I mean. Yeah. And and the woman that works for him. Yes. She's great in insane. it. Insane. And like the girl who's like from. Is she from Halt and Catch Fire? Like the, the oh, prostitute yes, girl. Yes. I mean. A really cool cast. Everybody's cool in it. I think the storyline they came up with really kind of caught me off guard. At first, I was like a little taken aback by it. I was like, really? This is where they're going with this? But I thought it worked perfectly. Um, it really made you 
question things it, in a weird right. way it made you question things from the original movie because well, that's you're like, what well, i wanted it to what be. do we all know i i wanted it to be where done in a way where it didn't necessarily tell you what's going on at the end of the first movie <laughs> yeah it, and it you feel did. like it does and right. then you're like well maybe it doesn't yeah exactly <laughs> right you're really not sure what's going on and like it it left it open for a whole universe of sequels that will probably never get made. But I yeah, think I wouldn't think it's cool though that they went in that direction. And you know, part of maybe part of the charm of Blade Runner and Blade Runner twenty forty nine is that open ended feeling, and that's just part of the yep. deal with it. And I think it's cool. And I wish more people were into it, but I kind of didn't expect more people to be into it. I mean. It is what it is. It's not. It's a big, expensive movie, but it's not like an Iron Man or something that's like fast paced and funny and what you know. It's like yeah. It's dark and it's brooding and it's long and it's it you know it's really thought provoking and it's not the typical kind of you know yeah and it big just action has like movie. stunning visuals. Uh, yeah. So we should probably wrap this up get to the last one here yeah so we got one more and probably uh one of the more unique movies i've seen in quite a while not just the plot of it but everything about it it just it's well done and really going to the beginning of that movie where the the (laughs) are you gonna say what the movie is or are we just gonna keep them uh well hold on okay there's the whole that whole sequence where She's first going to the school and like they're in that like dark warehouse thing and then it becomes like that weird rave party uh-huh. where I was just like, what the hell is going on? I don't know. It just is unlike like that whole sequence is like unlike anything I've seen in theaters in recent memory. That's for sure. We're talking about a French <laughs> people. Oh, no. A French teen girl cannibal movie called Raw. Yeah, that's right. A movie that I was I had heard some buzz about and was excited to see was definitely worried about whether or not I would be able to see it I in had the theater. No idea what it was about. I think you saw it before we saw it together, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Man, this movie is gonna be like too fucked up for me. Well, that was part of the buzz about this movie because it, it, you know, it's a, it's in French and it kind of made like some, you know, film festival circuits and and whatnot, and was making its way over to America slowly. And it was in New York and L.A. And part of the buzz they were trying to build around this film was, you know, really playing up audience reactions like, to it, not something that a Matt Crosby could handle. Like, you know, they would have, like, these barf bags with, like, the movie logo on it. That, <laughs> in, that was part of, like, the promotional stuff for the That's film. That's what we should give out for the podcast. Honestly, we saw this movie at the Hollywood Theater. It was at, When I saw it by myself, it was the first time I had been to that theater, and I was like, oh, wow, this is a cool little place. I didn't even expect... I was just randomly driving on a street that I didn't even know the Hollywood Theater was on, and I'm passing it. And then I see the raw movie poster, and I'm like, oh, shit, this is playing here in Pittsburgh. (laughs) And it turned out it was the only theater that would end up getting it, which isn't a surprise because it's a foreign language movie. But 
I, I had the opportunity to grab some of this raw promotional stuff that was just sitting there, and I didn't take it because you know yeah, it was, was my first time in this theater. Miss by you, yeah, and I felt kind of uncomfortable just grabbing stuff. But um, right. yeah, I mean, you know, so they're playing up people fainting, and this movie's causing people to throw up, and there are some really intense, gross things in this movie. Although it's not. It's not the parts that nearly. you would think. Yeah. It's not actually the cannibalism right. parts. It's other gross shit yes. in it. It's just... It, this movie kind of plays to the strengths of this podcast uh, <laughs> where we did Ginger Snaps and Jennifer's Body. And this is in that same family. You know, this, is, this shares like a... Uh, this definitely shares DNA with those films in oh, a way. Yeah. Um, not to say that this movie ripped either of them off, which you could make the case that Jennifer's body was ripping off Ginger Snaps a little bit, which we talked about way back when in yeah. our archives. Really, I think just like Goodfellas often uh, replicated, same can be said about Ginger Snaps. <laughs> Ginger Snaps is the Goodfellas of Canadian werewolf teen <laughs> movies. <laughs> um, no, I mean... I, Ginger Snaps is just our reference point. I'm sure, you know, sisters and friends kind of relationships yeah. that kind of it's just take a horrific uh, another turn. Another or... one of those movies that at its core, how is it that you say, uh, you always tell me it's about the horrors of becoming a woman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's the uh, thesis for my... Uh... <laughs> My term paper that I'm handing in. Um, yeah, I mean, this is there's a lot at play in Raw underneath the surface. On the surface, it's about a girl who comes from this kind of strict vegetarian family. And, and it's because deep down, there's a bloodthirst there. Yeah, there's... We don't know that at first. Right. We don't understand the hereditary uh, issue at play. But yeah, uh, once she's kind of exposed to eating meat which is done through a hazing incident at this veterinary school that she goes to. Um, She kind of has this intense physical allergic reaction to this thing that she ate. And then it becomes this insatiable uh, lust for eating human flesh. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot of interesting things at play. There's like sister rivalry dynamics. Um, There's sexual awakening dynamics. uh, the dad at the end of the movie, just <laughs> such a great scene for me. It's impractical and it doesn't really make sense, but it's great. Right. Like, you're like, wait a minute. They never would see this accidentally at yeah, some yeah, point, yeah. you know. But, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I the two stars are are great. Uh, the older sister, Ella Rumpf, is just a smoke <laughs> Ella show. Ella Rumpf. Yeah, I mean, and the, the main girl is cute, too. It's just... Is I I don't know I I don't really want to get into too much of the it's plot, a, but it's, it's as good of a in theater experience for something that I didn't know what the hell I was about to see in the last several years. I mean, the soundtrack is awesome, right? Uh, it's well directed. Um, yeah, I mean, for anybody who thinks that this is just like a male chauvinist podcast, I mean, this was you can get directed, the hell out of here. <laughs> this was directed by a woman. And it was just unbelievably directed. Everything about it was great. 
honestly, it's unfortunate that America kind of has a built-in prejudice against foreign films and they kind of don't get as much traction because this is a movie that I think would appeal to horror fans and film fans in general because I think it's so well done that it could have reached people that maybe weren't prone to seeing like cannibal <laughs> movies like you know yeah this isn't the green inferno or uh cannibal holocaust or something it's not like done for shock value and, uh, it's the cannibalism that goes on it's not like over the top i mean no. certainly not throughout the movie anyway no it's it's done in a way that feels more believable than like the absurdity of like some of the death scenes in like Green Inferno or something. You know what I mean? Like, oh, where right, it's yeah. just like done for how ridiculous can we make this or whatever. It's yeah, yeah. It's it feels much more real in the moment. And I, I love foreign films for their gutsiness when it comes to everything. There's no backing away from like some of the gross out stuff that happens. I mean, even the oh. scene where I don't want to give away exactly what right, ends right. up happening here, but like there's a scene where she's trying to like the older sister's trying to help her wax her bikini. Oh, region. I forget about that. Yeah. And it's so disgusting, but it's like they don't shy away from like the pubic hair. I mean, she she's wearing underwear, but like her pubic hair kind of coming out from the side, which sounds like something out of an Amer- American pie or something, but it's not right. done for laughs. It's just done for reality. It's like, this is what it looks like. This isn't like, we're not hiding it behind like her leg. And so you don't really see what's happening. I mean, it's just like, but I don't even really, yeah, I don't really remember it being like particularly abrasive either though. Well, yeah, but it, um, what I'm saying is like these foreign films, they tend to have a more in your face quality when it comes to sex, violence, gross out things, anything that's like real and it doesn't it, it it doesn't like present it in a way that feels exploitative or done for like cheesy shock value or anything. it's just like this is what this would look like in this moment and when the main character becomes obsessed with you know eating flesh and it, i mean just the part where there's a sex scene and she's biting her own arm <laughs> and there's blood coming i mean it's so in your face and like it's just it was a theater. It it was a film unlike any other this year. It was a theater experience unlike oh, yeah. any other. And I'm I'm thrilled that I found the Hollywood theater Absolutely. and got to see it. <laughs> so again, I think Raw is on Netflix right now. Oh, it is. I didn't realize. I that. think it is. Okay. I think people should check it out. Yeah. Hopefully, it still is. I know it was. I ended up having to and just like Lady Macbeth, I ended up <laughs> importing the Blu-ray. I have two different versions of it. That's um, right. But uh. It's, uh Quite a situation you've got going on. Honestly, 2017 was an unbelievable year, really? in our opinion, at uh, least. And there are probably another 10 to 15 very quality films that we just didn't even have time for. Okay. I think I set the limit for 55 minutes, so we should start <laughs> Close, shutting it down. So, you know, it was a big year. And we are going to do one more part in this series where we kind of give our Oscar predictions in our final top ten. That's lists, right. Which everyone is exciting for everyone. Eagerly anticipating. Also, if you would like to uh, attend the Greatest Moments Oscars party, text me. Yeah, uh, full black tie event. That's right. There will be champagne. 
uh, not a lot of room for people to sit, but... Well, maybe we'll get the projector going in the background. Yeah. <laughs> in Dog Poop City. Right. All right, so thanks for listening, and look for uh, part four coming up right before the Oscars, and we'll see you next time.